welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help churches make disciples. And now, here's your host, Daryl Dash. Well, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Daryl Dash, and today I want to talk to you about building a rule of life. Now, a lot of you might have never heard of a rule of life. I tend to get two reactions when I talk to people about what a rule of life even looks like. And the first reaction is this, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, Rule of life is, is something that's been around for a long time, but it's something that might not be part of the tradition that you belong to. And the other thing I hear is it sounds super complicated. I don't even know where to begin in building a rule of life. Uh, Through my book, my new book, Eight Habits for Growth, I found as I've been working with people, uh, when we get to the rule of life part, people get stuck. They get intimidated when they have a piece of paper in front of them and begin to think about the patterns and practices that they need to build into their lives. So today I want to explore that a little bit. And I want to think about a rule of life as a set of rhythms and relationships that fit your life so that you can love God and others well. And so it's almost like an owner's manual for you, recognizing that we need to customize the habits of the Christian life for our own unique circumstances and personalities. And somebody that I've appreciated uh, as he writes about rules of life is Rusty McKee. Rusty McKee is a spiritual director, an author, speaker, and founder of Steadfast Ministries. And it's my privilege to talk to him today to try to get his wisdom on what a rule of life is and how it can help us. So Rusty, welcome to the podcast. Daryl, thank you so much for having me on today. Rusty, I've really appreciated your writing on uh, what a rule of life can look like. Would you help us out by beginning to describe beginning to describe what a rule of life actually is? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that you can describe a rule of life, actually. Uh, But the way that I'm thinking about it most recently is, you know, you're putting on paper uh, some, some rules, not like laws that you have to follow, but much more like a ruler. You know, this is, this is what I'm shooting for. This is what I want to measure my life by. And if we could be more specific, it's what I want to measure my weeks and my days by, right? And so it, it's getting down on a piece of paper, uh, some desires, And some of those may look a little more concrete. You know, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z this many times a week. Some might just be uh, desires of the type of person you want to be. But you're getting uh, those those rules down on a piece of paper. And I like to think of a rule of life uh, ultimately right now as a self-differentiation tool, if I can use that language. It's a bit of psychological language. But if you were to go uh, back in church history, you know, a guy named St. Ignatius, uh, he would talk about holy detachment. I think that's another way to talk about self-differentiation. And if you were to go back even farther, there's a guy named Jesus who talks about surrender a good bit. Uh, and this concept of to really gain your life, you have to lose your life. Uh, and those who try to keep it uh, will ultimately lose it as well. So for me personally, a rule of life helps me decide what are the things in life that I'm going to say yes to so that I can abide more deeply in my relationship with Jesus. And then what are the things in my life that I need to say no to so that I can abide more deeply in my relationship with Jesus? 
And I want to abide in my relationship with Jesus so that I can bear fruit in my relationships. So that's how I would begin to talk about a rule of life. It's much more like a ruler than a law book. And it really is this self-differentiation tool to help us define who we are in Christ. So where did this whole idea of a rule of life come from? Because it was a long time. I think, uh, you know, probably I'm in my 50s now, but I think it was like, man, it had to be 40 years of my life that I'd never heard of such a thing. So where, where did this whole idea of building a rule of life come from? Well, from my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it comes from around the fourth century. Uh, you have the desert fathers and mothers uh, heading out into the desert because they found their lives being ruled and dominated by the predominant culture in Rome. And as these folks wanted to experience deeper life with Jesus and not being just driven mad by their culture, uh, but they wanted to really be uh, compelled by the Spirit of God, they began to form monastic communities. And in those communities, they then began to say, these are the rule of life for our communities that we're going to commit to and we're going to live by. Uh, so ultimately, the origin story of rule of life is that it began as a community affair, uh, which is interesting, you know, in our individualistic culture, a lot of the conversations these days revolve around your rule of life or my rule of life. And I think it is important to remember the beginnings and to see, you know, a rule of life is helpful for sure, just on an individual level. And I would recommend anyone toward it. However, a rule of life is going to function best if you can have some folks who lock arms with you. They're aware of your rule. You're aware of theirs. And then you're able to help encourage one another in the process of uh, not only writing it out, you know, it's easy to write something out, but then also to have a set aside times to remember and reflect and read over it and to put your actual weeks and days up against the ruler of your rule of life to say, am I saying yes to those things I should be saying yes to? And am I saying no to those things I need to be saying no to? so that I can abide in Jesus. Now, if I'm not mistaken, your previous church, the church that you pastored uh, up until recently, you had a common rule together. So could you describe that for us and how that was created? Yeah, that was really a project that we were working on. Uh, and recognition that uh, largely, there's kind of a tipping point in our culture right now. and just seeing that the ways that we had done spiritual formation, that maybe those ways that had worked for a while, you know, we had community groups, we would do sermon discussion. So there'd be a sermon preached on Sunday, and then we talk about the sermon. We just noticed in our context that it kind of became this uh, hamster wheel type experience for people where they would go on a Sunday and they'd go to their community group and they'd talk about these things, but then they never really felt like they're actual faith was developing or going anywhere. So we just thought, hey, what if we went back <laughs> to an older way and began to focus much more on what does it look like to live the Christian life together? And so we taught our church about a rule of life and taught about how it's a wonderfully uh, flexible tool that we can use 
But we also said, hey, on a monthly basis, we're going to give you some spiritual disciplines to put in there that we think are countercultural. I think that's another big part of a rule of life is that uh, you can make it uh, to really combat the streams of where our culture is trying to take us. Uh, Personally, I have a bit of scoliosis. Uh, Hopefully nobody can notice. Maybe when I'm in my 90s, they will. Uh, But, you know, with that scoliosis, my spine curves in a direction that's not uh, necessarily helpful and it's not healthy. It doesn't feel good. And what I have to do in order to stay healthy and to actually feel good is I have to do some counteractive stretches. And so a rule of life you're putting in, okay, knowing my own personality, our own cultural culture's bent, uh, what are some practices we can put in place so that we can be healthy in Christ and we can, again, bear that fruit in a world that desperately needs the good news of Jesus. And they need to not just hear it, they need to see it in people's lives. So as a church, we would say here are practices that we believe are countercultural that will help you be a healthy follower of Jesus in the 21st century. So what kinds of things would go in a rule of life? Could you give me an example of, of what one might look like? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest place to start is with spiritual disciplines. You know, you can put spiritual disciplines in there. Uh, Everyone breaks up their rule of life differently. I break mine up into four categories, and I try to get it on one piece of paper. Uh, It used to be much more complicated, but I've tried to make it less complicated as time goes on, Uh, which I would say as well, you know, another good point with a rule of life is it really should be a living document. Um, It should change and adjust as your life changes and as your life adjusts. And the things that work in one season for you are not going to work in another season. And you shouldn't feel shame or guilt about that. You should just be prayerful and follow the Spirit's leading in that. Uh, So I break mine up into four categories, communion with God, rest, community with others, and work. And then under those, I put various spiritual disciplines. Um, So one that is always on my uh, on my rule of life, no matter what season, is Sabbath. That always goes under my rest category. Uh, one day, 24-hour period of no paid or unpaid work, but a day for uh, really to pray and play, as Eugene Peterson once put it. You know, a day to delight in God and to delight in his good gifts. Uh, a good resource for folks here, if they're trying to think of like, okay, how can I fill out my rule of life, would be Adele Calhoun's Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Phenomenal book that has categories, actually, that breaks down disciplines into the various categories of communion with God or community with others, uh, breaks down disciplines into work and service. And so as you're thinking through how to fill out your rule, it can be really helpful to say, here's a book where I, I, I want to grow in this, and here's a practice. Okay, where can I put that in my rule so that I can begin to grow? Man, that's so good. And I love how practical that is. Um, how did you begin to even get interested in in what a rule of life is and, and why you in particular should have one? How did you, you get involved and interested yourself? That journey for me started on the edge of burnout. 
So great place to get a rule <laughs> of life. Uh, and yeah, I was in a season of pastoral ministry that was really challenging. Um, and not only was uh, pastoring the church that I planted challenging, but on top of that, we as a family had had just a lot of painful losses, a lot of death in our family. Um, death through miscarriages, through long seasons of infertility, um, through my wife's younger brother suddenly and unexpectedly passing away. So just a lot of grief. I look back on that season and uh, the term that kind of uh, summarizes it was compounded grief, you know, and there's just so many little losses and big losses stacking on top of one another and the demands of a young church plant that didn't allow us the time and the space to process them. And in that season, um, thankfully, my leadership team was gracious and encouraged me towards a sabbatical. So I was able to get a, a brief sabbatical where we could step away and really process our pain and our losses. And in that season, I read Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Leader. And in his book, he has the chapter on a rule of life. And I just thought, wow, I've never heard about this before. And if I remember correctly from his book, he, you know, he talks about uh, the, this word for rule of life from the Latin comes from a trellis. And that really you're, you're building a trellis that then allows your own abiding in Christ to grow and your life to grow and to flourish uh, with Jesus. So that was my first introduction to a rule of life and started doing one immediately. Again, like I said earlier, my initial uh, you know, rule of life was very packed. It was very crowded. It was very achievement oriented, <laughs> which I can tend to be. And over the years, as God has matured me, grown me, uh, calmed me down a little bit, my rule of life has also uh, shrunk and has, has grown down. Uh, it's grown to be much smaller than it once was. So it's a wonderful tool that's very flexible. Um, I would not necessarily recommend you look at someone else's rule of life to build out your own. That's not necessarily a good place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I love how it's it's really changed in your life and and how you've like you say it's a living document. So probably your rule of life is very different than your initial rule of life. Way and, different, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like uh, you know, I think when people hear of a rule of life, at first they might have this, you know, the, as you say, that when they think of rule, they might think of something like, Oh man, it's it's obligation. And I get the sense for you, it's not, it's not something that weighs you down, but it's something that actually frees you. So that, that count, it, almost like the opposite of what you would expect a rule might feel like it's going to be restrictive. And yet what I hear you saying is your rule of life leads to greater freedom. So could you talk about that? How does your rule of life actually not just become like, oh man, another list of ways that I'm failing or, or not measuring up, yeah. but actually a guide to really flourishing in your life and, and living the abundant life. Yeah, I think that's a fair observation, Daryl. And that's not to say that I haven't had seasons where my rule did feel like an obligation to, um, to tackle and to just, you know, the drudgery of knocking out these tasks. 
However, I think pretty early on, I just realized if I'm starting to feel that way about my rule of life, then I'm doing it wrong. You know, a rule of life primarily for me is about relationship. It's about my relationship with Jesus. It's about my relationship with others. And my relationship with Jesus is life giving. (laughs) And my relationship with others should be life giving. And so, with that, if my rule becomes, you know, a point of, oh, I don't want to pull it out and look at it because I'm going to feel shame or guilt over not doing it. I'm just at the point now where it's like, if I'm feeling that, then it's time to rework my rule of life. That's not necessarily, you know, emotions, challenging emotions for me to dwell in. It's more of a, you know, here's the check the engine light on your car that's saying, well, it's probably just time to rewrite it because something in my season has changed which is now impacting my soul as I interact with my rule of life. And so, yeah, I definitely try to keep it kind of front forward facing towards joy and towards life. I think also going back to the idea of a rule as a self-differentiation tool, you know, like it really does force you to say, what do I want? What do I want out of life? And with that, it really forces you to say, okay, if I really want these things, then what do I need to be saying yes to with my time? What do I need to be saying no to? Uh, Saying no is harder for some than it is for others. It's definitely been a journey for me to learn how to say no. But honestly, a rule of life is pretty liberating in that regard. Um, As I plan out my weeks, I'm looking at my rule of life first, and it's helping me look and really prioritize what I value and say, nope, that doesn't line up with my rule. And in fact, saying yes to that is going to be counterproductive towards my abiding in Jesus and my loving of my neighbor. So I'm going to say no. Rusty, I know that you're in the middle of a fairly significant uh, transition in your life. Uh, you've, you've just stepped down as a pastor of a church that you planted and you're moving, you've you founded Steadfast Ministries. And uh, I know that any period of transition is full of of stress, uh, even good stress can be, it's still stress, right? How have you found your rule of life has helped you through this period of transition? Or maybe it hasn't, but if it has, how has it helped you? Yeah, I would certainly agree with everything that you just said. You know, transitions are really challenging. And I don't know if I or most of us really do transitions well. I think embedded within transition is loss. So I I think that's part of why we struggle with transition. Even if it's a good transition, like in our circumstance, we were able to to transition from the church I started with really positive relationships. Um, We were practically sent by our church to this new ministry. I'm still very close with the leaders of the church that I started. So, uh, you know, looking at it, at a glance, it's like all of that is wonderful and good. And it's still sad because it's a decade of my wife, my wife's life that we've invested in this church that we care about deeply still to this day. Um, And so even though we're excited for what God's leading us into with this new ministry, there is loss. So I say all that to say that I have seen that play out in my rule of life specifically with, okay, it's another time for adjustment. For my rule. And whereas, you know, I can have this propensity to 
do more and to be really productive. I've actually pared my rule of life way down in this season in order to create space. So a lot of the things on my rule of life are are more geared towards practices that are going to slow me down and give me space to actually digest uh, this transition and all of the uh, multitude of emotions that come along with it. So it's been very helpful, but I don't think my rule of life would have been helpful if I had given myself the expectation that I need to keep on plugging along in the same way that I did before. You know, it's interesting. I was, uh, I, I try to read my rule of life uh, fairly regularly as a living document, and I was transferring it into a new journal the other day and thinking, this is really good stuff. <laughs> like, I should really do this. <laughs> and a lot of what I, I find in my rule of life is is really, you know, I have a propensity to act in a certain way that's not always healthy. So for instance, I tend to overwork and be, you know, geared towards achieving as and accomplishing as a way of, of feeling like you know, I'm, I matter that what I'm doing, that my existence matters, right? And a lot of my rule of life is actually about leaning the opposite direction as a counterbalance to, you know, to getting the rest that I need to getting my identity, not from my work, but out of just who God says I am. So could you speak to that? How much is, is our rule of life helpful in recognizing our maybe unique temptations and providing a counterbalance, maybe a different way of living that helps us avoid the traps that we might otherwise fall into. I think that's really wise and insightful. You know, I mentioned earlier how a rule of life, you can be intentional to put practices in place that help you go against the, the streams of culture. You know, it can be a counterbalance to kind of the external forces that press in upon us. I think there's wisdom in well in saying that the as you stick with your rule of life, you will begin to notice things about yourself and you will begin to notice the culture of your own soul and the unhealthy streams that can carry you away. And I've certainly seen that in my life as well. Um, Very similar, you know, with kind of prone to overwork. And uh, I know before I did a rule of life, I had this constant feeling of guilt, especially as a pastor, a constant feeling of guilt if I'm not doing enough. And it would really, it would really weigh me down to the point where I would come to my Sabbath and here's my day of rest. Here's my day of delight. And on that day, I would just be miserable because I would have all this shame and guilt from not doing enough. And one of the earliest revelations from my rule of life was I began to look at it and say, oh, I actually am doing too much. (laughs) And it did just what you're saying. It revealed a tendency in me that you know, ultimately going back to Jesus's call to surrender, to pick up our cross, to follow him, to uh, lose our life so that we might gain our life. Like, man, I've, I've got to crucify some of these tendencies in myself. So yes, my rule of life became a, a revelation of those tendencies. And then it also became a place and a method to help me begin to address uh, what it looks like to crucify those parts of myself 
again, so that we can abide in Jesus, right? It's all about relationship. It's not just about our progress or our achieving. It's about what are the obstacles to union and communion with Christ, and how can we take those obstacles out of the way experientially? So I've talked to people, and I've discovered that a lot of people, they just find it intimidating to begin to write their mm-hmm. own rule of life. So what are some ways that somebody could get started, especially if they they feel like, man, I don't even know where to start, or maybe I won't do it right? What advice would you give them on how to build a rule of life? Well, I know this great guy who just came out with a book on uh, eight habits, you know, <laughs> that I would say pick up. Um No, seriously, I mean, there are so many great books out there on a rule of life. So I would say, you know, find one of those if that's your book, Daryl, which I would recommend to folks, or if it's one of Pete Scazzaro's books or John Mark Comer. You know, there's so many different authors writing about rule of life right now, which is really exciting. Um, But even with that said, uh, I know a lot of this is based on personality as well. Some personalities, even just reading about a rule of life sounds awful and like drudgery, you know? And, and with that, I, I think just acknowledging your personality first, understanding some of us are more prone towards activity. And that's kind of how we deal with the chaos of the world. Others of us can be on the other extreme where, you know, rather than overfunction, overwork to deal with the chaos of life, we just get overwhelmed by the chaos of life. And so I know some folks where it's like, you're telling me I have to write down practices I'm going to do and then like check on them and all that. Well, you know, no, that's, that's not what we're saying at all. So I would say where to start, just keep it really, really, really simple. You know, for the overachievers, the you know, active folks in the room with your rule of life, you probably need to like pull the pull the dial back. You probably need to push on the brakes and say, how can I actually put uh, less on my rule of life, but put the essential task on my rule of life? For the folks who are really overwhelmed by the idea of it, I would say just like writing one <laughs> is a great first step, you know, like y- you don't need to dial back your activity. You actually need to grow in your intentionality and in your engagement in that. And just for those folks, simply trying and starting is so significant. So I would say just keep it as simple as you can. And again, if it becomes overwhelming, if it becomes a guilting experience, then that's probably just an indicator not to give it up, but it's an indicator to go back and start deleting some stuff, start scratching some stuff through. You've written a couple of good articles on uh, a rule of life, and I'll link to them in the show notes. I found them really helpful and, and freeing. You you have a way of taking the pressure off as you write about it. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Um, Rusty, I want to ask you a couple personal questions if I can. Uh, yeah. What are you learning recently in your life? Hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that we're in a bit of a season of transition and uh, with starting this new ministry of Steadfast Ministries, there's so much joy in that because uh, it's, it's rare to be able to find that sweet spot in that, those moments of like, it is so clear that we're where God wants us to be right now. So there's such a sweetness and a goodness and a joy and enjoyment to that. 
as you mentioned earlier, uh, transitions also involve stress. And there's also <laughs> the, the stressful sides of just the uncertainty of the future. Um, you know, no longer having the stability of finances that we once did. So what I'm learning right now in the midst of that, this moment that we find ourselves, is that we can trust God with the uncertainty. And I think I've spent so much of my life trying to figure out the future or plan for the future or anticipate everything so that, you know, the future can be secure. And I'm just at a point in my life where I'm really tired and exhausted of doing that. And I'm sensing Jesus inviting me to just trust him and to enjoy the adventure. And I was talking with Jesus about this the other day and kind of, you know, the madness of anxiety, that anxiety is trying to figure out an unknown future so that we feel secure in the future, yet we're making ourselves insecure in the moment because we're ridden with anxiety. And I was talking with Jesus about that and I just got this impression of, of man, God's kindness to leave the future uncertain for us. And as terrifying as the future can be, and I just think, oh, if I can just know the future, then I won't be terrified. I really believe the reality is if God showed us our future, we would be even more terrified. And God's goodness and his kindness, so this is what I'm learning, God's goodness and kindness to withhold certain information from us until the appropriate time that he doesn't reveal what he's calling us to do in the future until we are equipped and we're ready to hear it and to respond to it. So I, that's what I'm learning. I'm learning of God's goodness in uncertainty and actually his goodness to keep us in uncertainty and that we can trust him in that. That's so helpful because I think Everybody these days is, we may not be making a job transition, but right now in our current age, I think all of us are living with a, a certain amount of instability. So that's a really helpful insight. Well, I want to ask you one, uh, well, actually, I'm going to sneak in a, a bonus question, but my second last <laughs> question is this, what's encouraging you right now? Oh, that's easy. And this is going to sound like a bit of an oxymoron. Uh, you know, over the past year or so, I have been deeply encouraged by the internet. Uh, I've been deeply encouraged through social media and hopefully everyone chuckles because they know what a hot mess uh, a lot of social media has been for folks. And I'm not talking about all the fights and arguing. That's not encouraging to me. But within that, over this past year and the shutdowns, I have been able to connect with uh, various individuals, you being one of those, Daryl, that I would have never connected with otherwise. And as we, again, we're kind of in this mode of this new ministry, as we're stepping out in faith in this venture, it has been so deeply encouraging to see how many people from afar and locally have come around Rachel and myself and my family and supported us, either with words of encouragement or um, by, you know, taking the risk of jumping out and saying, hey, will you be my spiritual director? Or by folks just saying, hey, I'd love to help you in this new venture in any way that I can. So we felt the love, the care, the support, and the encouragement of others in this season. And I'm really grateful for that because there is, there's so much um, 
there's just so much out in the world right now that is discouraging that's coming from people. So I'm really grateful that God's given us some really concrete examples of there are still good people in the world <laughs> who are not just out there for themselves, but they, they're loving others and they're loving us. It's a good idea to curate uh, our social media feeds to the point where the people we follow are helping us love God and others more. And yeah. then social media becomes actually a life-giving place and not a place where, you know, we go to be discouraged and overwhelmed. So yes, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I want to ask you the the question I want to sneak in. Tell us about Steadfast Ministries and what you're doing and and also how people can find out more about that ministry and also you yourself. Thank you for asking. Yeah, Steadfast Ministries is really my passion project that the Lord has been working into me uh, over, I, I mean, I could probably say my whole life, but specifically, I look over the past 15 years and I can just see the progression of how the Lord's brought me here. Uh, so I'm the founder of Steadfast Ministries, and through that, I offer uh, various services to the broader church. I offer spiritual direction. Uh, which is very similar to counseling for those who don't know. I would say the difference there is that when it comes to counseling, most models, you know, someone will come in for an hour session and say, here's my struggle, here's my problem. Um, and then a counselor will, will very helpfully say, well, let's understand the past factors that have led you to this point and let's get some let's get some uh tools in your tool belt to help you in the future uh, so when it comes to spiritual direction though you're not so much focused on the past or the present or the past or the future you're more so focused on the present moment um, so rather than oh you're having anxiety so let's understand where it came from and how to help it in the future uh, when spiritual direction we would say well let's actually pray together right now and let's seek to experience the peace of Christ right now. And so it's much more of a focus on uh, being present to your life, paying attention to your life, being present to Jesus uh, and really developing within your own soul, just a, a more slowed down pace so that we can be attentive uh, to both God's invitations, and also we can then be attentive to our responses to that. Uh, so I love spiritual direction. It's a wonderful uh, thing that I get to do with Steadfast Ministries. I also offer sabbatical coaching for folks in ministry, uh, helping them prepare for their sabbatical, caring for them on their sabbatical, and then helping them with re-entry. And then the final thing I offer is workshops. I do those for uh, whole churches. I do them for church staffs. I also do them for various organizations and their staffs. And those workshops uh, really is, is equipping and giving folks tools to grow in emotional and spiritual health. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that uh, really when it comes to teams and churches, Shared convictions bring us together, and we need to continue to have those shared convictions. That's a good thing. But really what keeps us together at the end of the day is spiritual and emotional maturity. And so it's a big passion of mine. I really, the, the, if you could sum up all of Steadfast Ministries, in that I want everything I do uh, to help others stay grounded in Christ so that they can go the distance in life and work. So that's what I'm doing now with Steadfast Ministries. And if anyone's interested 
in that. Uh, you can check out my website. It's steadfastmen.com. That's steadfastmin.com. And you can find uh, my services there. And I also have several other free resources to help folks grow in that spiritual and emotional maturity that they can check out as well. I was just listening to a podcast before our podcast uh, today. I was listening to this guy and he was saying every pastor needs three relationships. And one of them that he mentioned is a spiritual director. So mm. yeah, it really is valuable. I can attest to the value of that relationship. And yeah, I don't know too. if I would be in ministry today if, if I hadn't been blessed with a spiritual director. So um, Rusty, it's good to get to know you better. I hope people uh, read your material. I hope that people check out Steadfast Ministries. And uh, I'm just grateful for your voice. You're one of the people on the internet right now that um, when I see your name show up in my inbox or on my social media feed, I know that I'm going to find something there that's that's useful and encouraging and that, that helps me um, not just do more, but to experience the presence of Jesus more in my life and ministry. So I want to thank you for your ministry and and for the wisdom that you've shared with us today. Thank you, Daryl. I can say all the same for you. Really appreciate all that you're doing. And thank you again for having me on today. No, my absolute privilege. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.